Okay, let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> of course, Casper, this is the Evangelical Student Network podcast. It is a Christian podcast, so we have to talk about Jesus. I mean, from the time we were kids up to now, we have heard and we continue to hear about Jesus. So what's, what's so special about Jesus, right? That's, that's the question that a lot of people are asking without actually asking. Um, in today's episode, we look at how Jesus fits into the big picture, how Jesus fits into the story of the Bible and um, why Jesus is a big deal and why he should be a big deal in your life if he is not. Ladies and gentlemen, without wasting much of your time, please grab a cup of coffee, grab some juice or tea and sit back, relax and let's jump into it as we explore the person and work of Jesus Christ and how he fits into the narrative of the Bible. Let's get it. Uh, good afternoon. It's wonderful to be uh, here uh, to look at God's Word together uh, in our TBT. Um, I think if you have been coming along, you realize that we are going through a series that we have called uh, the Bible in 10 and uh, trying to understand how do we understand the whole story of the Bible as one big story of what God is doing in our world. Um, and I'm grateful for the talks we've had so far. And we are picking that up as we look at Matthew uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 17 today. So Matthew chapter 1, uh, from verse 1 to 17. And if you have a Bible or on your phone or physically, uh, if you could open the Bible so that as I speak, you'll be checking uh, what I'm saying, whether it is actually coming from the passage or not, um, that would be great. Uh, before we do that, let's pray and ask God uh, to speak to us. Uh, Lord, we thank you this afternoon. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege uh, to gather here and to hear your word um, yeah, spoken. And Father, that you may uh, speak to us and challenge us. And Father, teach us things and show us things, Father, in your word, so that we may grow towards maturity in Christ. Amen. Yeah, so our passage is Matthew chapter 1, from verse 1 to 17. I'm going to read. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatil, and Sheatil was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of 
Abiad. Abiad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Ezra. Ezra, the father of Zedok, and Zedok, the father of Achin. Achin, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eliezer. And Eliezer, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Do you know your family tree, your family history, like your father and the father of your father? Um, who here can say they know at least three generations down their family tree? Uh, let's say two, come on, you should know your, at least your, <laughs> the, the name of uh, your father's father, at least two, three, anyone for three? You can do three. Cool, can you tell us? your father and the father of your father and his father, if you know. Oh, you can do two. So no one can do three. Tamuka can do three. You mean the name? Yes. I know the name. The name of my father, my grandfather, and my grandfather's father. Yeah, you see, so you tell us. What were their names? So my, my great-grandfather was Mabolo. Then my my grandfather was Shira, and my father was Okay, good job. Uh, we got three. Um, you see, in our culture, you know, it's not something that common, but in the Jewish culture to which Matthew is writing, it was a big thing, genealogies. And um, I think if you read the Old Testament, you, you won't read far be, uh, until you find this list of names. This one was the father of this one, this one was the father of this one, this one was the father of this one. Uh, the Jewish culture, they kept these genealogies written down. Uh, they, were, they were passed on generation to generation. And they were very important records because they determined or defined who you are. If people would know your genealogy, they can understand, okay, so uh, this is Winston. After we understand... Uh, who his father's father and his father's father is, and all that. Um, they determine someone's heritage, someone's maybe inheritance. Um, they determine someone's legitimacy if it is about uh, you know, power or being uh, on the throne somewhere. They would want to know your genealogy to make sure that you are rightfully the one who is supposed to be taking uh, that position. But also the Greek word that Matthew used here for genealogy, uh, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, is the same word that we use as the first book of the Bible, Genesis. This is the genesis of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but um, many people, when you are reading the Bible and you get to a section like this one, um, you quickly... Flip the page, right? <laughs> um, yeah, we are like, what do I do with this list of names? I hope by the end of today we'll have a bit of a different view about genealogies. And uh, what I'm hoping to do as we look at this passage before us, I want to give you just two tips for reading genealogies. And we're going to do that together, which is why I wanted you to keep your Bibles open. We're going to do that together as we look at this passage using just two of the tips that we can use uh, when we are reading this 
kind of um, sections of the Bible where we have a lot of genealogies. So here we go. We, we don't have so much time, so we'll just get into it straight away. When you are reading genealogies, the first thing you need to do is to study the pattern of the genealogy that is before you. Look at the pattern, identify the pattern, work out what is going, what is the pattern of this. Don't get lost in the names, or well, some of them they're even hard to pronounce. It's okay, but look at the pattern, even if you can't pronounce the names. You see, as you read a genealogy, one of the very easy things to see a pattern is look at where it starts, look at where it ends. Is there something? that can tell you something there. As you read through, is there something that gives you a certain pattern? So come to our passage today, Matthew 1, verse 1 to 17. What does verse 1 say? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Let's go to the bottom of the passage, verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Do you see a pattern? No. <laughs> okay. What stands out in verse 1 and verse 17? What connects the start and the end. Yes. At the beginning, we are being told that this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He is the son of David, the son of Abraham. Right at the end, verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. It seems whatever is happening here, we, we haven't gone into detail, but David and Abraham, they are key figures in this genealogy. We are told of them at the start of the genealogy. We are reminded of them at the bottom. And at the bottom, we even get a more um, further description of their significance. And the pattern is actually given to us. You don't have to assume it. It says, from Abraham to David, 14 generations. From David to the exile, 14 generations. From the exile to Jesus, 14 generations. How many people in there? Abraham, David, Jesus. There's exile in between. But then you still ask, so how does that help me? <laughs> you may ask. You see, Matthew is saying, Jesus is the son of David. He is the son of Abraham. What does that mean? See, the son of Abraham if you have been reading your Bible a bit, or if you have been coming to TBT, by now you know that we looked at Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 that God made special promises to Abraham. When the people, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and uh, we call it the fall and things were falling apart and people became sinful generation after generation and the flood came, still people remained sinful. And when we get to Genesis chapter 12, God calls this man, Abraham, from Norway. And he says to him, I'm going to give you a land. Go to the land that I'm going to give you. I'm going to grow you into a big nation. I'm going to give you many descendants. And I'm going to bless you and your descendants. And through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. 
God is promising to restore his people living in his land, living under his blessing through this man called Abraham. He had no son. It was hard to believe he was old. He got to the age of 90, still no children, but he trusted the Lord. Throughout, as we begin to see the nation, his, his children now, beginning to grow into a nation, they were told of these stories, I'm sure. Our forefathers, our forefather Abraham, God promised him these things. But you see, the, the Jews at this time were, were reading this as Matthew was writing, his audience, they were living under the Roman emperor, far away from the land, far away from the ideal. Matthew is saying, this one is the son of Abraham, through whom all those promises are going to be fulfilled. Not only that, he takes us to David. I think we all know that David was the king, very, uh, one of the famous kings in the Old Testament. But a few weeks ago, Tamuka helped us to see that God also made some big promises to David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 to 16, we read these words. The Lord declares to you that um, he himself established a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who built a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 14, I will be his father and he will be my son. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. See, to Abraham, God promised many descendants, a promised land, blessings. To David, a king, God promised that one of your descendants is going to come after you. And that one descendant is going to build a house for me. And I'm going to give him a kingdom forever. You see, now, David had many descendants, some good and some bad. They all, many of them became king after him. Some of them were quite spectacular, like Solomon, doing amazing things. But some of them we just told, when you read the history in, 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 in the book of Kings, that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Israelites were always looking, who is the son of David to sit on his throne at any given time in their history? So imagine now they are now in captivity in Babylon. They've been taken over by Nebuchadnezzar. They are living as slaves under another king a foreign, a pagan king. They're asking, but where is the king in the line of David whom God promised that all the time, forever, I'm going to make sure that one of your descendants is king forever. Where is that forever king? Matthew is saying he is here. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, he is the fulfillment of the promise to David. He is the one through whom the whole world will be blessed. He is the one who is going to be the king who stays on the throne forever. That's why Paul in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20, 
He says, for no matter how many, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. No matter what promises you read in the Old Testament, Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of those promises. So the pattern of the genealogy is this. The, the promises to Abraham, the promises to David, they find their fulfillment through Christ. It's a pattern of fulfillment. And he starts with Abraham and David. He ends with them as well. So the first tip, notice the pattern. Here's the second one. Notice where the pattern is broken. Notice where the pattern is broken. See, traditionally, the, the, the genealogies in, in the Jewish culture, they would trace through the male figures in the family line. Like what Tamuka was doing. Do you know the names of, your, of, the, of the grandmothers and all? <laughs> Probably not. Um, in the Jewish culture, they would follow the, the male line. Uh, and I think you see that a bit of that here from verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah, Perez the father of Hezron. It's all fathers and fathers, you see that? But there is somewhere where the pattern is broken. Did you see that? So verse uh, 3. And Judah the father of Perez, and Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Now that's not a father, right? Tamar, she was a lady. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram. Uh, you go down to verse 5. And Salom, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And then, um, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And then uh, verse 6. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. See, the pattern is being broken here. Instead of telling us the father, he was the father, the father of, he is including some women in the story. How come? You see, in the Jewish culture, women were not uh, valid uh, in terms of um, testifying in court. So in the Jewish culture, what he's doing here is almost as useless. It was not add any value to his genealogy. So the question is, why is he breaking the pattern to include these four women? Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. And later on, I think he adds Mary at the bottom. So this is that the pattern is being broken here. And it's being broken by the inclusion of women. Who ordinarily, you'd not expect that in a genealogy. But it gets worse. These four women, they were either non-Israelites or they had some non-Israelites association in them. Tamar, Rahab. Do you know Rahab? When they were going into Jericho uh, to possess the land, I think we sing a song, Rahab I think people know that. She was a prostitute. Uh, and she was from Jericho. Ruth was the Moabite. The book of Ruth. She was a Moabite, not an Israelite. So he's including these women 
who were not Jewish, but actually from other nations. But even worse, like I've already hinted with Rahab, the women mentioned here, they all have sex scandals. You're laughing. <laughs> Tama, she dressed up as a prostitute to disguise and lure her father-in-law to sleep with her. And it happened. Rahab did not disguise as a prostitute. She was actually a prostitute in Jericho. Bathsheba, we know that. She was involved in an adulterous uh, affair, relationship with David. That led to the killing of her husband, Uriah. So he's not just picking some, you know, at least good women, you know, uh, Sarah, Abraham's wife. No, he's picking the kind of women that you and I would not expect to see in this story whatsoever. As we come to an end now, what we learn from this kind of structuring of a genealogy? I think the first thing is you and I should know that this story is not made up. If someone was making up a story in the first century to convince Jews that Jesus is the Christ, they would not put women. And if they decided to put women, they at least put women who were of good standing, not to kind of pick women who were questionable, if you wanted people to trust in Jesus. So the guys who were writing these stories, they were not trying to make it up or to look it nice, to, to make it look nice. They were writing things as God ordained it to be written. Secondly, God is sovereign. Nothing can stop God from establishing his plan, from doing what he purposes to do. Even unexpected, questionable characters in the family line of the Messiah. Mind you, even some of the men mentioned here, the kings, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet there they are sitting on the line that leads to the Messiah. You see, this is not a, a human project. This is God's project. And he's going to fulfill it no matter how weak people are. Even using weak vessels, even using unexpected characters. Do you want to see God work in your life. I don't think God is expecting you to be perfect, well set, and then say, ah, no, now you can qualify. God has used some of the most unexpected characters all over history. Guys like Paul, the same guy who was killing people, God calls him. I want you to go and preach. Do you think God could have not found another, just a normal guy who is not a murderer to, to send to, 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 to preach. I wonder if God is showing us that I am in control. I am sovereign. I can work anything. I can even work usually with what you do not expect. God is working in the unexpected places using unexpected means. You may come to a gathering like this and think, oh, how many people? 15, 20, Nasty is 15,000. What are we doing here? God is saving people. God is bringing people to know him. 
and it doesn't have to be glamorous in the world's eyes. I know a gig at Nast would fill up this place more than what we have done here. But that's not the point. It's God working, and he works in his ways. I'm not saying let's not bring people. <laughs> but God is sovereign. He worked even through these people, and he can work. And number three, God is gracious. God is gracious. He uses rejects. He uses outsiders who are not expected to be part of this story. It was all unfitting. But this is the way that God establishes his kingdom. Salvation is not by merit, it's by grace. If it was by merit, these women would not feature here. They had many things working against them. But because it's God's project, it's a project of grace. It's a project of him showing his love, him showing his power, not us showing our worthiness, not us showing that we deserve God. No, it's him who looks down at sinful, undeserving people, and he says, I'm going to fix this. And as you read this rest of the story in Matthew, you are going to see Jesus hanging out with his tax collectors, sinners, outcasts, people that back then the Pharisees would say, why is he talking to those ones? Zacchaeus, the guy who was cheating people. And he goes to have a meal with them. Because that is how the kingdom works. It's God extending his hand, extending his love to people who do not deserve it. If you are a Christian sitting here, I wonder, is your faith based on, I'm a good person, I try to be good for God, so God loves me? Or you realize that you and I, we are unworthy in our own right, but God has loved us so much that he brings us into the kingdom of his son. Jesus is at the center of God's salvation plan. He's the true son of Abraham who brings God's blessing to all the nations of the world by grace. And he's the true son of David. He's reigning on the throne and he will reign forever. Are you receiving this offer of submitting to this king, King Jesus? Or you're trying to do it in your own strength? Trying to do it in your own power? or even rejecting him. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are a God who is so powerful and sovereign. Father, you work even despite our weaknesses. You work even through unexpected characters. And Father, we thank you for that. Otherwise, we would not be standing here if you required us to be perfect and deserving in our own right. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus, the one who fulfills all the promises to Abraham and to David. Amen. There you have it, friends, presenting to you Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. The Bible tells us that uh, in Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen. Um, and again, we heard the question being asked, are you 
um, depending on yourself are you depending on your works for salvation or you have put your faith and um, trust in what God has done through Jesus Christ who is the center of God's redemption plan ladies and gentlemen that's something to co- to ponder on as we live today my name is Kasper Mapurisa and this is the Evangelical Student Network podcast catch you on the next one grace and peace <laughs>